James Black with the CSC and a special edition of Hashtag Finance. We've got a market open today with none other than Hadley Ford of Ianthus Capital Holdings. Uh, Ianthus, symbol I-A-N on the CSC. And uh, Hadley's going to join us today and talk a little bit about uh, their experience as an issuer in the public markets, almost th- over three years now, actually, mm-hmm. as a uh, listed cannabis uh, company uh, doing business in the, U- in the United States of America. And uh, he's learned a few things, done a few things, and uh, really honored to have you here today, Hadley, joining us oh, on you, Hashtag thank Finance. You, thank you for having me here today. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. it. That's a pleasure. So uh, what we usually do with these conversations, the first half is a little bit about the company, its history, and then I always like to talk about the entrepreneur, um, and we'll do that after the break. So to start, uh, mm-hmm. just curious to know, back from where you were three years ago to where you are today opening the market, I mean, mm-hmm. a lot has happened. A mm-hmm. lot has changed in the world of cannabis and public finance. Um, maybe just tell me where you started three years ago and how you thought it would shake out and, and, and how it reflects on you guys today. Yeah, it actually started uh, more than three years ago. It started about five years ago. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my partner, Randy, and I thought there was tremendous opportunity in the U.S. cannabis space, uh, one of the big things the industry was missing was capital. The other component that it was missing because there wasn't a free flow of what I call regular weight capital in to support the U.S. cannabis entrepreneur, um, you didn't have all the usual attendant camp followers. You didn't have consultants, bankers. You didn't have that young VP from Procter & Gamble who was crossing over into cannabis to lead your marketing efforts. So we thought there was a really good opportunity to raise a bunch of money, put it to work with great operators, and um, sit on some boards and help build some great companies. Uh, we found out pretty quickly that the Simmies and Citibank wasn't doing prime plus two loans for someone to build their cannabis greenhouse. Uh, Toronto teachers and CalPERS weren't writing $50 million checks into a, you know, a blank check fund. Um, so we kind of scratched our head around that and then stumbled across the Canadian public markets. At the time, I think there were five, maybe seven uh, Canadian companies, cannabis companies that were public, they had a collective market cap of less than a billion dollars. And those were, to be to be clear, those were mostly Canadian grow the, stories those were at that time. All Canadian grow stories, yeah. kind of the tweeds and bedrocans. They hadn't merged yet. Right. Um, I think you know, everyone was kind of less than a two hundred million dollar market cap. And uh, we looked at that, saw that they had raised, I think, you know, one hundred and fifty million dollars collectively. But a little light went off. We said, here's a functioning capital market, the only one on the planet that was allowing cannabis entrepreneurs to raise money. Now, this was a public forum in Canada with Canadian companies and Canadian investors, but we thought if we could structure something from the US side, we could educate the Canadian investment community about the opportunities in the United States, uh, and we could have a public company to raise money uh, and put in support of uh, investments into the United States. Um, We uh, uh, thought that would take about six months to structure, uh, just given the complexities, the federal legality, the international border components of it, the fact that at the time, no bank uh, law firm or accounting firm would work with us. No, no. Uh, It took about two years to structure that. We did all the documentation and structure work ourselves. We ultimately did convince uh, an accounting firm and a law firm, but never convinced a bank to work with us. Um, we took ourselves public. Uh, you know, we, we met with Richard uh, here at the CSE, supportive from day one. I remember the first meeting I had with him, and he said, yes, we will list you. And obviously, mm-hmm. as you want to be public, you're going to need to have a listing. Um, and we actually did. It's, it's a little bit like if, if you wanted a, a fancy sports car, you can go to the showroom and buy one, or you can build it yourself. It's always much easier to go to the showroom. 
but in this instance, there was no showroom for being a public entity as a U.S. cannabis. No, you're, uh, you're literally one of the first. Yeah, we, we, so know, we took yeah. ourselves public. My background is banking. My partner, Randy, was uh, background mm -hmm. is the legal side, and we hired a, a young team to help do that, and we took ourselves public. I think the first couple of months, we traded you know zero to 500 shares a day, uh, and then... Um, we began to get a little bit of traction with the banks. We were the first, we were actually the first US MSO to go public. Um, we were the first to do a financing in the United States or in Canada. We were the first to do a bought deal, the first short form prospectus on the CSE, not, mm -hmm. not just from cannabis, but any issuer with the CSE. <laughs> uh, we were the first to do it to convert. Uh, we were the first to use our shares to acquire things. Um, so we did a lot of firsts, and had I been a smarter, I would have patented all that and just charged a fee, and I wouldn't have to. Could have consulted, told the other companies exactly, that were uh, exactly. You know, uh, and it's been uh, it's been very interesting. You know, it, as the pioneer, you always have a couple extra arrows in your back, um, but it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I do think um, you know having access to the capital and having access to the shares, which we can use from a. Uh, acquisition perspective with our partners has been exceptionally beneficial in building out our business. Right. So uh, being an early entrant, you've had to ride out probably more volatility in the market than any other company. Yeah, we, have a, we have a lifetime vol of 77, I think. Okay. And I, didn't know, I didn't know stocks had volatilities that high. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I had noted I. So, <laughs> so there, you, you, I mean, obviously you, that, that's, um, that's, that's, that can be, uh, you know, high, high and cold, hot and cold, I should say. Um, and, I'm sure the psychological impact uh, on your team of seeing that share price and the market do that over all these years has been <laughs> you know, severe. That's a, that's a great observation that people don't necessarily focus on that because you know obviously rightly so investors make or lose money and they focus on the investment piece. But uh, you know we we push uh, ownership you know down through the manager level mm -hmm. and uh, people watch the stock. Even people don't have. Um, you know, uh, uh, options uh, in the company, they still follow it. And it's a reflection on kind of the job that we're doing. And you can see that if the, if the screen is green, people they kind of up, we're doing a great job. It's red. Well, skipping their step as yeah, they walk. <laughs> it, it's, it's very interesting. Um, and, but I mean, and, just to interrupt though, but like yeah. what were you thinking when you saw, you know, um, I, because I don't know the price of the at the time for you guys, but yeah. when like Tilray was over 300 bucks a share or whatever, and it was on NASDAQ and flying, I mean, were you sitting there being an experienced banker and going, nah, <laughs> is this, maybe this yeah, isn't Yeah, I good. mean, that's, you know, one of, the, one of the issues that exists within cannabis is in the early days, there's not a lot of liquidity. So you can have those uh, kind of technical blips, either to the upside or the downside. Mm -hmm. um, and that that's what I thought it was. I mean, it, you had something going on you know, I don't know exactly what happened. I heard a rumor there was some uh, brokerage house out of Hong Kong that put out a positive report, and sort of all the you know, kind of Chinese in. investors were piling in. Mm. Um, drove that up. Who knows if that's true or not? But you know, those were the types of dynamics: supply, demand, and an illiquid market can drive something like that. Right. Right. So now, looking at the playing field today, I mean, you you mentioned you are now an MSO, having evolved from being sort of a hands. Uh, a, uh, an indirect or investment company, I should mm -hmm. say. And, you know, that's that's a playing field that has started to shake out a bit. Uh, there are a few kind of name brands in the MSO space now. Mm -hmm. um, there's still a lot of divides in between states and territories. So the, the true competitive environment hasn't completely opened up yet because mm -hmm. of federal... Um, 
legalities, we should put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that being said, I mean, what states do you operate in and how do you guys compete with those who are also in those states? What's sure. your differentiator? Yeah, so our strategy is pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a license in cannabis, you can you can grow cannabis, you can process cannabis, you can be a retailer and sell cannabis, uh, or you can create uh, products that people ask for by name. Hopefully through time you have a brand. Uh, our mission is to have a portfolio of iconic brands that people can't live without. Uh, those types of companies trade at much higher multiples. Uh, it tends to be uh, more asset light and IP heavy. And we think that's a, a very strong way to create wealth for our shareholders. So our, our strategy then drives our tactics, which are pretty straightforward. Because of the federal illegality of cannabis in the United States, you, you can't have national distribution, you can't have contract manufacturers on a national basis. Uh, you can't really advertise much. Social media, you get kicked off repeatedly. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a challenge, but, and that really drives you towards one type of business model, which is a, uh, it's a throwback to 1936, which is bricks and mortar focus. So yeah. to have a relationship with a customer or a patient, you need to have a retail presence. That customer or patient needs to come in, be delighted, welcomed, learn about cannabis, buy products, buy them again and again and again, learn to ask for them by name. If you're fortunate enough to do a good job on that and delight your customer, you now have a product that can become a brand. And then you can distribute that depending upon the state that you're in to other retailers, online, delivery, whatever you can to then take that beyond your retail store and have that become uh, something. Ultimately, when you have federal legality, you'll be able to centralize production. You may have national distributors and contract manufacturers that you can avail yourself of. But today, you have to do that all yourself in every single market. Yeah. Uh, Our competitive uh, advantage, I think, is uh, just ruthless focus on that strategy and hiring a team that has replicated processes before. So look across our team. We've got great cannabis experts, but we're pairing them together with uh, business leaders who've actually had great success in replication. So uh, our chief operating officer uh, came out of Stone Brewery. He joined them. They were a little known craft beer manufacturer in San Diego. He blew them up to 50 countries. Oh, the, I know it, yeah. Uh, it's the, a, the, yeah, yeah, product. Sto- stone, <laughs> yeah, like an IPA. Delightful you gotta, product. You gotta yeah. go stone. Um, but the beer has to taste the same. Everywhere. Know, everywhere, right? Yeah. And, and that process, the process capability is replicable. Now, cannabis is a new content, but you know if you have the same uh, you know SP and O process, you've got the you know the same uh, objectives. You can lock down that process, run Kaizen events, continuous improvement. You can have replication. So then, if the you know, the gummy in Massachusetts tastes and has the same effect as the gummy in Colorado, Arizona, Nevada, wherever you're launching that, that's imperative to be able to do that. So every aspect of our strategy on building that brand piece drives through every aspect of our business, whether it's marketing, you know, our CMO came out of Monster Energy, drove their revenues from a billion to three billion. He launched 23, 24 different lifestyle products. And you know, our view is that if he can have people ask for by name, you know, carbonated, caffeinated water and you know, get tattoos of it, that's the type of marketing piece we need to layer on top of our operational <laughs> prowess. So yeah. that, that's just a ruthless focus. And you'll see that happen. We Right now, um, you know, a lot of people claim to be multi-state operators because they have you know, operations in every state, but most of the, our peers have a big presence in one state and flags in all the others. Uh, because of the nature of our business, we came late to the, the party. A lot of guys have been in business you know, five, 10 years. 
We've really only been in business as an operator for about 18 months. We've acquired a lot of licenses, but we're building them all out in the same marketplace. Yeah. We're cash flow generative in uh, most of our key markets. So Maryland, uh, Massachusetts, Southwest, that's the, uh, the Arizona, Nevada piece. Um, and by the end of next year, we'll be cash generative across our entire network. Not, not just EBITDA positive, but driving cash all the way to the top line uh, through the parent company. That's, that is such a key piece. Just focus, focus, focus. And that's how we set ourselves apart. Awesome. Okay, we'll be right back with Hadley just after the break. Broadcasting from the heart of Toronto's financial district at the top of First Canadian Place, CSE TV is your trusted source for what's happening in capital markets. Our Hashtag Finance podcast series gets you exclusive long-form interview content with visionary entrepreneurs and CEOs of companies in the news. The CSE's On the Street segments get you up close and personal with many of our listed companies. And don't forget that you can find the video version of this and all our media on our CSE TV channel on YouTube. For instant notifications, subscribe to CSE TV now. And we're back with Hadley Ford, and we're talking about Ianthus, and we're talking about um, his business and the fact that if you start seeing people with tattoos of your logo <laughs> or the products on your shelves, I think that's a good indication you've made it. So uh, if you, I haven't seen that. You, you want to see my Ianthus yeah. tattoo? <laughs> no, I'll, no. Whip that out for you. <laughs> um, we should have done that earlier, actually. That would have been that would have been unique. There's, there's kids who watch. Yeah, I, I hope so. We want all viewers. Um so we're going to, you know, we always touch what's so interesting about the cannabis sector. It's obviously politically influenced. There's uh, mm -hmm. what's happening in Canada, obviously, with the uh, edibles and um, and uh, extracts coming into market for uh, food based products and whatnot. Um, I assume it's supposed to be this month, but I, I think the federal election. Cannabis, might, who knows? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's also a federal election. That's a lot of balls in the air. Uh, in the U.S., there was just the SAFE uh, Act uh, passed through Congress. Mm -hmm. I'm well, not through, a, through the house. The so, house, sorry. Yeah. So I'm not. Yeah, there you go. I'm not a student of the U.S. market by any stretch. I've read a few press releases on this. We know that it's a positive indicator towards potential full legalization in America. However, mm -hmm. there's a Senate. If, yes. If, yes. There's a Senate yeah. that has to vote on that. And you know, when it comes down to politics, some people uh, would say that there's likely not enough votes, or maybe you know things could change before there well, is. U.S. politics. There's one thing that drives it, and that's money. Sure, it's just the way. It's the way of the world. Uh, one of the curious things about uh, the bill that came through the House didn't really get written up, but I thought it was um, fairly interesting. Typically, a bill that comes out of the House has a bunch of stuff attached to it, you know, yeah. little pet projects. They and sneak whatnot. stuff in there. Yeah, sneak stuff in. It's part of the uh, the rich milieu of you know, backroom politics, smoke-filled rooms. They argue over what gets put. I'll in get there. you the votes if you throw in my uh, exactly. thing, thing, thing. Little quid pro quo. Yeah. This bill didn't have anything attached to it. Huh. Why? Like you'd think it would have a ton of stuff attached to it. Uh, my view is that the reason it didn't is because the banks want that to happen, mm. and the banks, I believe, have been actively lobbying behind the scenes with all of the uh, the reps that they have access to through their lobbyists, through their their own donations to people's reelection campaigns. They get a voice. They've gone in. They said this is very important to us. Why is it important? $50 billion of cash exchanges hands every year in the United States between the legal and illegal market. Mm -hmm. If that cash is in a legal bank account, you know, that's pretty low cost of funds. The other piece, can they start lending into the cannabis space? 
if you look right now, hard money lenders are getting mid-teen returns. That type of arbitrage for a banker, that's a net interest margin that they never thought they would see in their life. So I have to think. <laughs> to look in their chops. I, yeah. I have to think that the <laughs> banks are very supportive of this. They lobbied very hard for it. And that's why the House bill came through with very little. So turn your attention to the Senate. Uh, I think the same thing happens there. I think the banks will be very supportive. I've seen some very early comments from the uh, uh, the head of the Senate uh, Banking Committee, who's not a fan of cannabis, but he's very supportive of this bill. He's listening to his constituents, who are you know the cannabis operators, uh, and he's listening, I think, to uh, the banks, who are also his constituents. Uh, so you have uh, everybody in support of it. We've heard uh, if it gets through the Senate, um, which I think it will, Donald Trump will sign it, and I think it's a better than equal chance this gets done before Christmas. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's one of the rosier outlooks I've seen on it um, or heard about it. So... Is, just to put it this way, is it still an economic versus social issue? Is that where the, res the resistance still is? It's because within, of the social within, stigma? Within or? this SAFE Act? That or, or just or, in general? I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think, politically. Yeah, obviously from the political perspective, there's a social aspect. And I just think in general from life, there's a social aspect. You know, the entire war against cannabis, I think, is... Um, Ludicrous. It was ludicrous. It continues to be ludicrous. Yeah, we, we can all agree on that yeah. for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, something needs to be done. Um, I don't know how much of that's impacting the SAFE Act, uh, but I will tell you state by state that mm -hmm. the legislatures that we deal with are focused on it as they should be. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that their job is to figure out how to redress the, uh, you know, the errors and damage that was done by that you know, ill-informed war on cannabis. Um, and we're supportive of that in whatever factor that, you know, horse trading and <laughs> political you know, peace puts out. My, my own hope is that it allows uh, entrepreneurs um, who've been affected by the war on drugs uh, better access into the cannabis market. Absolutely. And, and it'll open up better testing, which will result in better products mm -hmm. um, and obviously safer um, uh, consumables for the end user. I mean, we looked at what's... You know, the negative headline in the last few weeks was around the vapes and yeah. around people using black market product, assuming mm -hmm. black market product um, and ending up in hospitals or even having worse uh, scenarios play out. Yeah. So uh, any thoughts on that and how you've had have you had to navigate that topic at all or? Yeah, no, I mean, there's a couple of components, right? There's the, the facts, there's the opinion of politicians and how they respond and then kind of where we think it'll be. But I think, you know, the near term impact is clearly it's not a great headline. Investors who don't have the same knowledge and transparency of the market the actual operators do, you know, that doesn't that doesn't strike me as good for stock performance. <laughs> um, the facts on the ground are, uh, from a cannabis perspective, we've known about this problem for a long time. Counterfeit pens uh, have been a big problem uh, in the business. Yeah. Uh, pen quality has been a problem in the business. Uh, you know, we QIQC everything that arrives. We send some stuff back. Black market guy's not going to do that. Uh, he or she's going to look for the cheapest pen. They're not going to make sure it's tested trim. So if something doesn't pass testing, comes out into the black market at a lower price, they'll buy it, they'll extract, uh, you know, they'll use cutting agents. So And then they'll put someone else's logo on it illegally, and then they'll sell it. And sure. people will use it. They'll have no idea that they're you know, ingesting lead or you know other superheated things like vegetable oil that you know, studies have shown cause damage because they've studied it through the use of frylators at Mickey D's. So it's it's a um, it's a problem. I, I think you know we'll have to navigate it for the next you know however number of months. It doesn't help when politicians put a ban in place. On the nicotine side, people go back to smoking. On the black markets or on the the cannabis side, there's 
all of a sudden no legal alternative to the black market vape. So I think that, exa- that, that makes the problem worse. I think the public health policy piece should be to have legal vaping mm-hmm. uh, regulated tested and legal authorities ought to come in and shut down that black market piece. That's a, that's good public health policy. I think the politicians ultimately will arrive there and that will be the ultimate outcome that we have. I don't have a time schedule for that. I hope it's sooner rather than later, but knowing politics, that might be a six to 12 month journey. Yeah. And I, and I guess that's kind of the interesting intersect of cannabis. You mentioned public health policy. I mean, treating it, um, uh, along those lines for, for ultimately providing consumers uh, new health products, new avenues for treatments uh, on the medical side. And then, as you said, in the judicial side, uh, treating drugs not as a, um, a way to lock people up, but actually, you know, finding reasons not to lock people up for minor offenses. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> it's, it's it's like head shaking some of the stories from the last 30 years. It's just I crazy. Bet, I bet. Yeah. No. And we won't go into the history from the 20s or whatever from from how it all originated. But yeah. uh, America's changed in a lot of ways. And in other ways, you know, it's, it's still got some of the uh, underlying issues that have caused this problem, maybe in another discussion for another day. And uh, I, I think maybe what I'll just end the conversation on with you, Adley, is um, you mentioned you were a banker. You mentioned that, you you know, you're a suit and tie guy, I can tell. <laughs> that's the brand I project. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's okay. I mean, it's, it's, well, I'm wearing a suit and tie myself today. Those watching, you can see. Um, what, you know, at what point just personally did you have to, did you have to talk to anyone in your inner circle and say like, I've been in this sort of safe, you know, bubble of doing maybe it was not safe, but I assume, you know, you're in banking or whatnot. It's a pretty respected and known thing that you can do. Uh, and then you had to move, uh, you had this inclination to go into this industry, which, you know, uh, it's illegal, federally yeah. illegal. It's kind of a family business. My my parents used to grow cannabis in the oh, 60s. Wow. <laughs> and uh, they told my grandmother they were French marigolds. Um, my brother was already in the business. My sister was already in the business. Oh. I, I was, I was, you know, the, the outcast from the family. And my brother and sister got me, uh, got me involved. Oh, you're okay. So you were the, one goes, the, the apple that back. fell from, far yeah, from the tree. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, we have. A, I've got my brothers in it. My sister. And I have another brother who's not, and we call him the white sheep of the family. Right. Um, so we. Um, you know, my my uh, politics haven't been a sort of a child of the '60s and '70s, where you know, power to the people, stick it to the man. My youngest daughter tells me I am the man, so I just stick it to myself. But you know, my my view's always been uh, uh, the government serves the people, mm-hmm. and don't tell me what to do with my body. Don't tell my daughter what to do with her body. Don't tell me what to put in my body. Um, and that was sort of my attraction to this. Uh, you know, I saw. I just it's just ludicrous you know people would like have jail time for having a joint and and I saw that coming legal like if you know kudos to my brother and sister you know getting out years ahead of me on that yeah but once they got me involved um I said okay this this is a this is a piece I can get behind I can take the skill set I learned as a banker and investor and, and provide value uh but we can also use a platform to do the right thing do the right thing and from an employee perspective, a society perspective, a community perspective, uh, advocate for change and make those changes positive. 
Awesome. Well, thanks again for sharing your story with us. Um, we, you're, I think you're the first guest to come in and actually say it was a family business. So uh, <laughs> I always question, you know, how did you get that experience in the cannabis industry? It didn't, yeah. you know, a lot of expertise kind of came out of nowhere, but you, you actually had it. Um, thanks again, Hallie. Congratulations right, on, uh, I think, 37 months now listed. 37 and, months. Yeah. <laughs> not that we're counting. And, it feels um, like 37 years. Yeah. Especially, uh, especially the last three months. And uh, again, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe. There's a button somewhere around here. Just subscribe because you're going to get more great content. We're putting out at least two of these a week. And uh, if you're listening on Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Apple, uh, again, subscribe. Get the stuff straight into your uh, player. Uh, again, we're delivering great content two, three times a week uh, with CEOs across all industries. Please. And uh, again, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And thank you, Hadley. And we'll My see pleasure. you all soon. Thank Wonderful. You. Thank you. All right. Bye. Hi, it's Grace from the CFC reminding you to make sure to follow us on social media for the latest updates on our listed companies as well as new listing alerts. For more in-depth content, be sure to pick up our free quarterly magazine, Public Entrepreneur, available online at thecsc.com.